Startup exits are the most sought-after events in Silicon Valley, but very few people get to experience them. Welcome to the Startup Exits podcast, where we chat with founders that started, ran, and sold a tech company to learn about how it all went down. This podcast is brought to you by Startup Soft. Hey everybody, this is your host Andrew Vasilik, and you're listening to Startup Exits, where we chat with founders that started, ran, and sold a tech company to learn about how it all went down. And today I'm joined by Grant Horsfield. Welcome to the show, Grant. Hi, Andrew. You started a company called Naked Hub. Uh, it is a Chinese co-working company with a heavy focus on community, design, and lifestyle. Uh, it became very popular in China, which led it to be acquired by WeWork for a reported $400 million uh, after just three years of being in the market. Uh, let's take a quick step back. You were born and raised in South Africa. How did you end up in China? Hmm. Yeah, um, a question that's been asked many, many times in my life. Uh, the truth is um, I didn't see uh, a lot of future for me in South Africa. And uh, I was told a lot about China and this booming place. And I was a young entrepreneur, always interested in um, and doing business. In fact, I had three businesses in South Africa before coming to China. And uh, I just wanted to go to a place where I thought the, the opportunity and the hard work would be rewarded by the same amount of remuneration. And so China seemed very exciting. Um, and uh, it was either America, Europe or China. And uh, for me, it just felt right. Yeah, I mean, looking back at it, it was obviously the right decision. Uh, now that you've been there for 15 years, uh, how would you say is the general startup situation and the startup environment in China now? Oh, it's incredible. It's very different from sort of the Western world, um, but it's it's bubbling. Uh, the amount of energy and enthusiasm there is for being uh, a young entrepreneur in China is 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 I've never felt or, or, or seen anything like it. It's probably you know, only, uh, you know, you'd see this kind of thing in small pockets in, in the West, but the whole of China, first, second, third tier cities, everywhere people are trying to to try new things and bring new ideas to the market. But the way in which things are done here is, is, is quite different from, from the West. Different in what way? Like, what, what are some of the things that China does better than, than the West startup-wise? I think um, we see the Western world being very collaborative and people like to sort of like, you know, talk about their ideas and stuff like that. Uh, and, and probably there's a, a lot more sort of thinking going on before things are done. Here in China, it's just do it. If it fails, try something else. Um, and do it quick, you know, fail fast and try again and, and keep trying. And there's this, you know, I I know people that have been through five, six, seven businesses in such a short space of time. It's it's no problem for them. There's no, it's actually, a, they, they pride themselves on their ability to start things and, and try things and change them. And so you're seeing new things come to the market all the time um, and disappear too. But some of them get traction and then they boom extremely quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, the other side of the same question, then, what are some of the things that you, you think China lacks uh, within the context of startups that the West does better or, or does very well? 
I don't know if I could pinpoint something that's lacking. Um, perhaps a more developed, uh, uh, you know, fundraising or, or uh, ability for for young companies to to get outsourced uh, or uh, or outside funds. A lot of startups in China are actually funded by family and friends. Uh, they they really do. Uh, feel much more comfortable putting money within families and friends, and the family network within China is still extremely strong. Um, so I probably think there's still space for sort of the investment platforms for the venture capital, private equity can still develop further in China. You still see Western players actually playing in that space in China, which is uh, which is unusual because in in China you don't. See a lot of Western companies being leading in any sector whatsoever. It is really Chinese companies, right? Uh, and throughout history, we've seen many times uh, where somebody takes a business model or a concept that works in one geographical area and uh, does it in a different place. And throughout history, usually the flow of ideas has been uh, from the states. So the states comes up with a concept, and then it's. Uh, I don't want to avoid the, avoid the using the word copied, but in a way that's that's what's happening in, in Europe, in, in Asia. Uh, now that China is becoming a pretty strong player in the, uh, the, the global startup scene, do you think that we're going to see a, a sort of a flip uh, where China is going to be generating a lot of different innovative ideas and then places like the States or the West are going to uh, then adopt them in, in, in their own countries? Uh, absolutely, I think we're already seeing it. Um, we, we see, you know, a bunch of uh, you know Chinese uh, companies which um, you get exposed to when you live here because sometimes the the ideas that China is developing and the business businesses they have here they don't really need to export because the market is so huge here that they're just really targeting China and they don't need much more. WeChat's a great example. I mean, it's a huge one, but you know. We, WeChat has, you know, more users than WhatsApp, and so you know, you ask, well, should we, should, should they be taking it somewhere else? It's like, well, we don't really need to. We're already number one, um, but it's in a single geography. Uh, geography, but uh, I think that when you look at the startup scene in in China now, and especially in the tech space, there are so many innovations that are purely Chinese born. Um, many of them I can't be exposed to. I don't read and write. Chinese. I speak Chinese, but I don't read and write it. So some of these apps and stuff, I'd love to be interacting with. I can't, but I know from my colleagues and people who work with me how they've taken, you know, the traction has taken on. So I think that the future, you're going to see, you know, China very much on a par with America in this innovation side of technology. Um, I think that if you were Chinese, you would think that China's China's ahead already because their exposure to it. But if you're living in the West, you probably think that China is still on the copycat sort of front. Then they do do that. And they're very comfortable with re-engineering, taking an idea, re-engineering it and putting a new name on it and calling it theirs. Um, and, and, you know, that's been done for hundreds of years by a lot of people, uh, not just China. But I think that, you know, as the world gets exposed to more of these platforms that are coming out of China, they'll start to see that these are real Chinese innovations. Yeah, yeah, and I think WeWork uh, is a pretty good example. Uh, another good example is payment. The, the payment infrastructure, I think, in China and Asia is just light years ahead of anything else that, that we see in the world. 
Uh, I was actually pretty surprised when I came to San Francisco to, to Silicon Valley how archaic the payment infrastructure is here. Like there's uh, not a lot of places. Uh, well, maybe not not a lot of, not not a lot, but it's not very widespread to have uh, for you to tap your card, right? So a lot of places they still you have to swipe and you have to sign uh, with a signature. It's, it's especially weird, like if you're going to a restaurant and a, a, a waiter comes and you have to give them your card, and then after a couple of minutes they come back and you gotta sign it. And this isn't a place where cards drive themselves. So I think in that regard, Asia is is much much further ahead. Uh, let's talk a little bit. Not all of Asia, Andrew. I think that's also quite an interesting thing. It, it, but you are right on the payment function. I, 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 I'm in Hong Kong today, and Hong Kong's pretty archaic compared to China. I mean, when I tell you how amazing China is, China is now almost completely cashless and cardless. So there's no card, no cash, um, and no key. So uh, you're only device is your phone and you make every payment you pay transfer money between companies and people you open doors you everything uh, you get on the subway you 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 your you, your bus you know every single function is simply through uh, an app on your phone on a single app uh, either wechat or alipay uh, one of those two. It is incredible and light years, and that's China. That's where they are at compared to Hong Kong. Is still China, obviously, as a part of China, but it hasn't actually moved even to to Hong Kong. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty incredible. It kind of also makes you think about the the negative aspects of it, especially when it comes to like security. Like if there's so much of your life is controlled using your phone, from payments to uh, like you mentioned keys and and opening doors, uh, it just increases the, the risk, uh, or I guess the damage that would be caused if somebody would, would to exploit that. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about Na- Naked Group and Naked Hub. Uh, could you give me a high-level rundown of how you got started with Naked Group and how that eventually led you to Naked Hub uh, and eventually the acquisition with WeWork? Sure. So we started as a hospitality company. We build and operate lifestyle, sort of eco-luxury lifestyle resorts. Uh, in in and around uh, or around major cities, so uh, in, around Shanghai, we have uh, four different uh, resort properties, um, and these uh, resorts are just like any other resort. But we we learned that you know we have to build them, we have to design them. So we have our own design team, we have our own construction uh, supervision team, we have our own management team, our own you know all these functions, and then we kind of realized that you know the office. Um, shared or co-working office, if you want to call it that, business, is very similar in a sense that, you know, you need to design and operate a space, uh, very similar to what we were doing in resorts. Um, um, so that was the first sort of uh, idea we had, well, this could be a hell of a lot easier than building a resort. Resort takes us, you know, three to four years to from idea to, to realization. This office stuff can be done in two months. Um, so we kind of thought about it. Then we kind of realized, well, you know, just arbitrage on space doesn't look very exciting. You know, I'm renting a space for so much and I'm renting it out for so much. And we, we sort of started thinking deeply about what is this business. And we realized that I think to a degree, the old office market has never been uh, changed. Everything in the world has changed. Uh, every single thing we touch, feel, do, 
is always changing, but somehow office sort of never changed. So that's kind of why we got into it. Um, and we didn't really look at the world and see what other people were doing. We kind of just went about it our own way. Um, WeWork wasn't in China, so uh, we, we kind of just, you know, did our, you know, very much design ethos was from our resorts. Uh, our, our own, we already had a whole architect and design studio. So it was, you know, we just took our own ideas, threw them in and thought, you know, and people loved it. it, it they loved the, the, the style, I guess, because in a way, if you go to a resort, it's kind of supposed to be beautiful. So <laughs> going to an office, it's nice to be beautiful too. Um, we just went a little bit more heavy on the tech side and on the environmental side uh, than probably any other player in the, in, in the market. We were always a very environmentally focused company, uh, our resorts being, you know, as I said, eco resorts. So we spend a lot of emphasis on that with technology too, to try and find a way to make uh, offers uh, a healthier environment. And then on the other side, we, we spend a lot more money on technology, trying to figure out how we can create communities and, and, and create more revenue streams uh, through the use of technology. So that's how we built. So we, so we started at resorts, then we ended in office, and we also have a few other sort of uh, incubated businesses that we're trying. Uh, one's called Bulla, which is an education kind of uh, platform. Um, and so, yeah, that's... That's really the naked group. Uh, head office is in Shanghai, uh, China, and uh, our business in the resorts is just in in China. But our office business, before it was a, uh, merged, is the right word with WeWork, was actually in Australia, in London, uh, Vietnam, Hong Kong, and China. So we were kind of sort of more regional. Yeah, and you mentioned that uh, you guys didn't see co-working as just an arbitrage of space; that it was. It was more than that to you. It was the community, it was the environment, it was the technology. Uh, and that was a similar take that we work at, right? And so some people during the, um, the attempt at the IPO that we work at last year, the criticism was that, look, there's companies, real estate companies uh, that have 10 times the space, 10 times the revenue, 10 times the, uh, the people that they run from them, but have a 10 times lower valuation. But WeWork's take was that, look, we're not just a real estate company. We don't just rent space you know we're, we're much more than that we have the technology the community and the environment like like you may mention with naked hub um what do you think uh a modern office in 20 years is going to look like i think uber has taught us a, a a hell of a lot and and airbnb in that the idea of the shared economy is to create entrepreneurs lots and lots and lots of people that are able to do business um for themselves and on the one side, I think um, the whole office shift is there to create uh, more unique entrepreneurs where they can outsource all their different functions, uh, which is not their core business, whether it be HR, uh, finance, uh, procurement, or, or whatever you know needs to be done to to you know other partnering companies and they just focus on on what their core skill is and their core business i think that's on the one side uh, or how we can see office becoming a much you know companies becoming smaller um and people becoming more sort of let's call them gig entrepreneurs or the gig economy entrepreneurs on the other side i think multinational companies um are completely realizing that they're not in the business of office 
So whenever we design and build an office, I know for my own self, you know, when with the kind of people I put in my own company in charge of building our own office weren't necessarily the greatest thinkers and minds. It was just, you know, people that can you get it, find us a new office and get it designed by somebody and, and, and get it ready. And, you know, and, 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 and so off the, the whole process of the office wasn't a key part of your business. And I think multinationals are now realizing that, you know, the office is a very important part of the business and they're not experts at it. So why not outsource that to somebody who's an expert at it, who's somebody who's spending their whole life thinking about how to make a better office? And if I can do that without, you know, having to commit to uh, an exact space, 3,000 square foot or 5,000 square foot or whatever the number is, um, and, and, and I can have it much more incremental and, and it changing all the time, well, that's a hell of a lot better uh, deal for me as a multinational. So I think we're going we're gonna to see companies starting to accept the fact that, yeah, some companies that want to do their, their own thing and they have their own ideas, but other companies who realize that their real business is selling you know, shoes, that they shouldn't be thinking about how to make the best office. They should be thinking about how to sell better shoes. Uh, so I think uh, we're going to see uh, a big shift in, in, in technology uh, that's, that comes with office in design that comes with office and, and making office a more, uh, you know, an extension of our business rather than, um, you know, what it is now, which is sort of a place for you to go to work. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that we haven't seen enough innovation yet. And I think mm-hmm. if there's one comment I'll make about WeWork and, um, and the failed IPO, so to speak, is that, you know, every you know, companies lose sight of their, 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 their ideals. And sometimes when you raise money um, and you have a burden from investors to meet numbers and desks and how many members you've got, and you, you sort of stop innovating and stop trying to make a better product. Uh, all you're trying to do is meet that target that you promised that you'd get to and, you know, for this bank or this investor or whatever the case may be. And I think to a degree, we were stopped. Uh, innovating on the office, and uh, and and that still needs so there's still a lot of you know a lot that needs to be done. Yeah, and I think to your point about um, in the future companies essentially outsourcing the office aspect of the business to somebody uh, who can do much better than them. I, I I do believe that WeWork has a service something similar like this where they essentially white label an office for or they could white label an office for for a different company. Uh, did you have a similar kind of approach, or I, I believe Naked Hub's approach was slightly different uh, with Naked Hub Go, where people could rent a hot desk by the minute? Was that? I think you mentioned that was also in some ways aimed at multinationals. Uh, could you? Yeah, explain I think that, that product that product is still actually now it's WeWork though, but <laughs> it's certainly still a, a, a wonderful product to allow you know people to buy you know, bite-sized portions of space. Um, but no, we certainly did the same thing as, as we were going to white-label product. But I, I think I've, what I mean, you know, is that they, they come up with a white-label product and it's there because they're ultimately trying to meet more desk goals, like how many more members I can get into the whole WeWork uh, community. And perhaps more emphasis should have been placed on 
how we uh, um, we actually improve the office. Uh, fundamentally, how do we make the product for our client, whether it's a multinational individual, better? And what technology can we use to do that? But going back to your your, your statement about Go, Go is simple. It was uh, you arrive at, uh, you can look on an app, you can see all the WeWorks or Naked Hubs uh, in and around your area. You can click on it. You can see what the occupancy is like. You can actually see a, a live streaming video of the living room. And you can walk into the space, scan a QR code uh, at the door. The door would open and you would be then charged uh, by the minute. And so in a way, you can go and eat, drink coffee for free, uh, but you're being, you're being paid for your time. You're being charged for your time, not for the coffee. Right. And I think that this concept really makes sense, especially given the fact that uh, everybody is going remote nowadays. Uh, some going completely distributed. Maybe that's a bit of an extreme case. but most companies, they have at least some sort of remote, some sort of distributed function. Um, so if you're in a big city and uh, for some people it could take an hour, an hour and a half to get to work, it doesn't make sense to do that every day, right? It doesn't make sense to sit with the same people in, the, in a central office. You could work out of a coffee shop or a place like WeWorkGo or NakedHubGo uh, for at least a percentage of your time. Um, how did the acquisition with WeWorkGo down? Like who got in touch with who? Could you give us a high level overview? Sure. Um, Adam. Reached out to me uh, the first time we we met was uh, pretty uh, uh, acrimonious. I was like, no, I'm not interested whatsoever. And then, and then, um, about a year later, well, but no, about eight months later, then he he reached out again, um, and we met again in Shanghai. And we, you know, we we realized that the two businesses in China were just going to hurt each other because they were trying to, they were on sort of the catch up uh, and they were going at incredible speed. And we were just, you know, just fighting each other on every deal, whether it be a building we were fighting, whether it be a client we were fighting and, you know, we were just pushing each other in the wrong direction. So it it made a whole lot of sense and synergy to stop that fight and and join forces. But also hopefully we would be able to give them more um, sort of, views on china and doing business in china and that was kind of the, the uh, it was very quick the deal happened uh, once we we got aligned you know the deal was very quick and very adam uh, way of doing things um and um i think after the deal was done the integration was also uh, very quick and, and efficient did you anticipate that uh, I, I think we work enter china what was it 2017 16 uh, did you anticipate that they would be uh, a pretty significant competition of yours, or did you think that they just wouldn't be able to to move fast enough to catch up with you guys? No, I, I definitely thought there'd be a significant competition. In fact, I thought they would be the only competition. Um, um, uh, uh, they are Chinese players, but uh, this business is as much about uh, hospitality as it is uh, technology and office. So it's kind of a three-part business. There's real estate, there's um, you know, uh, hospitality and then there's technology. And um, the one thing is that Chinese companies still don't do the hospitality part very well. So if you come, most hotels in China are still, you know, Western branded hotels, the Hilton's, Hyatt, and those kind of things. Uh, and so, you know, hospitality is, is, is a skill that takes longer to, to build. And so we always thought that we had a, a, an a advantage from the local players. We work, you know, they had a really a tried, tested model. It was, 
you know, like a train overseas and was doing so well overseas, we, we just thought that, you know, it would be very hard for us to compete with them and the never-ending supply of money that they were getting at the time from SoftBank. Yeah, and I think like in, you guys were competing not only for uh, for customers, but like you mentioned, also on the real estate side of things. And when you're competing uh, on the real estate front, then you're essentially raising the prices for both of you. Um, for somebody like we work with very deep pockets, that's you know that's a bit problematic. Uh, what what is a company that is in a similar situation where essentially they're they're competing against a, a much larger, a much a company that has much deeper pockets, what sort of things can they really compete on if you're a smaller startup? Like I know at that time, you guys had a pretty strong brand in China, which we were probably, I mean, they had a global brand, but maybe not as, as strong as you guys did in China. Was that kind of the only thing that, that, that you guys had? Uh, that were one of the main things, I guess, that you guys had to, to compete with them? Well, yeah, I think an innovation because, you know, you can't bring some ideas that are being done overseas, don't, translate to China. And, you know, I've mentioned, we spoke earlier about WeChat and how powerful it is as a tool. I mean, you really have to build your technology in China around these platforms. Um, and, and that would have been our advantage, plus the brand, as you said. Um, and we were, you know, we use WeChat as in that Go product, the mini app within WeChat that allows you to scan the QR code and enter and pay and take the money, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, there is always an advantage in a local environment, in a local place for the local player. Um, but you still have to have the fundamentals, like the hospitality part and stuff like that. Um, I think, uh, yeah, otherwise, the other big concern in a business like this is that it, 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 in order to grow, you need to, to spend money. And that was the fear because we work, uh, seem to have this incredible ability at raising money. Um, and that, you know, made other investors not want to necessarily invest in you because they, uh, uh, you know, they were they were always looking at WeWork as the comparative and going, this is crazy valuations, and uh, you know, it was it wasn't easy. The fundraising part was difficult when you have a monster like WeWork in the market. Yeah, um, you mentioned one of the advantages that you had uh, with WeWork was brand, and brand is something that I've seen you repeat in in a couple of interviews actually uh that it was a big focus for you like when you're when you're starting a company you really focus on building a brand uh how do you approach to brand building in general like if a company decides like okay tomorrow we're a premium brand now it's not something that happens overnight what's what's your approach to communicating that to everybody and, and truly building a brand well it has to start internally with your company and you have to have values that your company stands for ours were very easy because my wife and i you know we we have a deep rooted passion in nature and the environment um it's probably also very south african but um for us when we we started building our resort it was about making your life better uh through uh the way you live and the environment you live in and um so when we started naked by the way naked means the whole idea of naked is not about you know, being without clothes, it's about stripping away the excess and living a more simple life. And in Chinese, it's luo xing, which means actually naked heart. So heart is the, we put heart next to naked, so it's almost pure. It says, how do we live a purer, healthier, happier life? And so it was really easy for us to take 
our huge success in our resort business into the office space because we were able to say you don't have to just live this pure healthy life with your family when you come on holiday you can live it every day in your office environment too and kind of that's how we brought our brand to the city we were very very lucky because law shing no one in china actually knows naked the, the word we never use the english word it's only law shing and it it just resonated so much with chinese people and uh, you know the our logo and our name you know is is very very powerful here and i think that happened because our own staff and our own people who who were with us at the beginning of this organization um my colleagues they embraced what we were trying to do and the timing was perfect for china they they also wanted to live a healthier life you know at the time it was high pollution in china 10 years ago it was awful and people became very aware of the environment and so it was something for them to be a part of and so that was our how we did it i mean every other brand is different and, and some brands mean nothing but they still have a huge uh, following um ours was just really about the those values underneath the brand yeah and i think you guys did an incredible job with the, with the branding uh with naked uh the last thing i want to focus on is the future of um Of, of your career essentially so you mentioned there's a couple of things a couple of incubator projects that you guys are focusing on uh is that something that is in store now or is uh w- like what's your general plan are you thinking of after the exit to kind of lay low for a little bit or are you going straight back to to the drawing board well, so to speak and starting new companies i still sit on the board of uh we work china business so uh, there's still obviously quite a lot going on with we work uh um as you can imagine um a lot of changes with the with the new the new ceo and, and and stuff like that um but no i personally am am i'm very very interested in 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 the shared economy um and i've i've really been uh fascinated as i work in the space in the office space but but fascinated by how um these different companies uber and airbnb we work uh, how they've created entrepreneurs and and that really excites me um so i've been looking at a space uh which which um a platform that figures out how to make more entrepreneurs uh and i look back in, in time before and you know before people went to universities you know there was always this kind of um apprenticeship kind of learning and all of us are teachers somewhere inside of us all of us can teach something um you could teach people how to do podcasts uh and i'm sure there's you know dozens and dozens of people that want to know how you do it and how you you know structure your questions so i've been really thinking deeply about you know how you you can create this but in physical spaces now a lot of people have been doing things online and you know these online learning and stuff like that and, and i think it's a hugely important part of learning but i also think that uh, the the face to face is critical so part of me has been really thinking about uh, how i can create a platform using the space that we works and restaurants and hotels all have that is underutilized uh on the one side and bringing teachers of all types whether you're an academic teacher or yoga teacher or fishing teacher or podcast teacher um uh, give them a platform to be able to 
uh, use space or rent space by the hour and create meetings or lectures or classes um, uh, 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 from the customers. So it's a three-sided platform. It's not easy to do. But I don't think there's really ever been a successful three-sided platform because you've got to create supply and demand in, in a location in three different uh, sides of the platform. It's quite difficult to do. But I do think it would, would, would create a, a world where we could see a lot more people um, being able to work for themselves. And when people start to work for themselves successfully, we see you know, a huge change in their happiness and their remuneration. And I guess that's the underlying principle of my life is trying to figure out how to create a little bit more happiness in everyone. So I've, I've heard you talk about this a couple of times, and I, I, I definitely agree that uh, there is a lot of, to, to, when it comes to education in general now, there's a lot of focus on kind of the institution and the organization rather than the teacher um, themselves. And could 100% resonate with that. My mom is a teacher. We're, we're originally from Ukraine, so she hasn't taught over, over 20 years. But when we lived in Ukraine, she taught there. And uh, I, when I go back to Ukraine now, I still meet some of her students, which are like in their 40s now, and they still like say good things about her and you know they, how much uh, she influenced their lives. Do you think that um, the reason why there's not an abundance of entrepreneurial teachers is a kind of a mentality slash cultural issue or more, more is it more of a kind of a lack of incentive issue? I think the second is, is a big part of it, but it's almost like this. If you go back a hundred years, the celebrity uh, was a teacher, you know, the, you know, the Einsteins and, and these guys were actually teachers before anything. And so we, we really celebrated our teachers. Today, our celebrities are music, uh, you know, musicians or, or business, uh, successful business leaders, etc. And teachers are so poorly paid. And uh, it's such a menial and terribly difficult job to do in today's society. Can you imagine how hard it must be to teach teenagers with their mobile phones and their social networks and, you know, and how they can berate and belittle the teachers and yet they paid so little and so it's and i think it's really because the institution is so out of date um with with reality today i think that if i was to be able to offer you for example the ability to do a, a bachelor in commerce degree and you can pick every teacher you wanted yourself um uh, you don't have to pick an institution you can pick the teacher. And then the teacher, I could pick the math teacher that suited me. And I could look at all the math teachers and I can see all their reviews, just like I do books. And I could say, that's the math teacher who's in my area. He lives in my neighborhood. He teaches math. He's got this great rating. That's my guy for math. That's my guy for, you know, whatever stats or whatever subject I wanted to do. That, to me, looks like a, a model which uh, would then incentivize the teachers to be the best. But once you've got a system which is really rating teachers uh, and that it, it impacts the, their, their money, the best teachers get paid the most. They're the most in demand. It's the you know, capitalist economy. But unfortunately, today, institutions don't do that. You can be a crap teacher and get paid more than the guy who's working his ass off just because you've been a teacher longer in that institution right. and and that's 
you know, flawed systems. So they, I think the whole thing is just fundamentally flawed. Do you see any, like, do you have any potential concerns with, with uh, making teachers entrepreneurs with regards to um, kind of a conflict of interest? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, um, I, I don't know how significant this, this issue would be. It's just, just kind of a thought that popped up in my head. If somebody is uh, kind of a teacher entrepreneur, then on one side, you know, your goal is to, to build uh, a successful business. On the other side is, you know, to be a good teacher. And they may not necessarily kind of go hand in hand. Um, I guess maybe a, a good way of, of, of solving this issue is the, the Lambda School uh, way of doing it, where the financial model is performance-driven, not kind of time-driven or class-driven. It's exa- that Lambda system is amazing, yet, uh, but it's exactly the same in, in, in my model. It, ultimately, it's performance that defines your success as a teacher, because if, you're, if you are really in an open platform, then everyone can grade you as the teacher. Not only are you grading the, the student, but the student is grading the teacher. And it's not easy to do, but if it's your business to manage your profile and to, you know, and to, to, you, know you have to do a good job. If you're not, you know, and I believe there's an algorithm that will actually even over a long period of time, the performance, the financial and uh, performance of the student, let's say five years on from when he left, the teacher will actually impact the, the, the rating of that teacher. So it is a pure system. Now, whether it can be achieved, <laughs> look, and uh, this is a, a challenge even for me, and I've been working on this quite a long time to try and figure out how some of these algorithms can actually work. But I do believe that it becomes a pure system where, you know, good goes up, bad goes down. Meritocracy. Yeah, yeah, and I think I mean the education system in general is just very archaic. Without it's it's somewhat similar to the point that you mentioned about offices before. Is that uh, there hasn't been a whole lot of innovation with offices and um, companies like WeWork and Naked Hub have managed to put a pretty significant dent in the in the office industry. So I I I, I wish you all the best with with um, with Bula, and um, we hope that you know it's a it's a success as big as as uh, Naked Hub was or or even bigger. Uh, thanks a lot for being on the show, Grant. It was a pleasure to have you on. Thank you, Andrew. And uh, yeah, have a good day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and share it with your friends. Also tag a founder you'd like to see on the show. This podcast is brought to you by Startup Soft. To learn more, visit startupsoft.org.